Well, good morning once again. Welcome to Connection Point Church. Hey, listen, if you're joining us online this morning, we just want you to know if you're at home and you're sick, we're praying for you today, believing for a quick and speedy recovery for all of those who are home today. For those who are joining us here in person, thank you for being with us as well. Amen. This morning we begin a, a new series as we enter into this Advent uh, season titled The Waiting Room. Now, when I hear the word waiting room, the first thing that comes to my mind is a doctor's office or an ER visit, right? But the fact is, there's all kinds of waiting rooms. Sometimes we just give them other names. We'll call them a lobby, a reception room. My favorite waiting room, sarcasm inserted here, my favorite waiting room is the one that they call guest lounge at the car dealership. <laughs> Can I tell you if you're waiting in the guest lounge at the car dealership, waiting for an estimate of what it's going to cost to get whatever repairs you need done, done, it doesn't really matter if they call it a guest lounge. It feels an awful lot like the ER waiting room while you're waiting there in that guest lounge. Now, I'm not sure why hospitals and doctors haven't caught on to all of these great new names, because it seems like they're the only ones who actually still call a waiting room a waiting room. Nobody likes waiting rooms. They ought to call it the dying room, because that's what you feel like when you're waiting in the waiting room. Waiting rooms are filled with the unknown. The, the unknown is, are they ever going to call my name, right? The, the unknown, if you're, if you're sitting in the waiting room of an ER with a family member, the, the unknown is, what's wrong? Are they going to be okay? If you're the one who's waiting in the waiting room to be called back to be seen, Everything that you looked up on WebMD is running through your mind, and you got it all. The waiting room. Nobody likes waiting, whether it's for something good, something bad, or something completely unknown. When you're in the waiting room, there is no control. And if there's one thing that I know, it's this. We like control. To we like to have control, even if that control is nothing more than an illusion. Now, with Thanksgiving behind us and Christmas just a few weeks away, we have now entered the Christmas waiting room. If you're a parent, you know how agonizing this time can be. It's agonizing for the children. It's agonizing for the parent who gets the ever, the everyday question, can we open just one? Don't worry. If it hasn't started yet, put something under the tree and it'll start soon. There are all kinds of feelings we experience when we're in the waiting room. Over the next several weeks, we're going to look at the, the waiting room of life. And while we're in the, the waiting rooms, sometimes we experience feelings of hopelessness, chaos, depression, 
and the feeling of being unloved. And we're going to look at some of those things over these next several weeks as well as God's answer to those. Amen? Many people experience these feelings on a daily basis. And those feelings are oftentimes amplified during this time of year. Many struggle during this season with a sense of hopelessness. When our sense of hope is gone, we oftentimes begin to get discouraged and may even find ourselves falling into a a place of depression. Now, discouragement or depression happens for a variety of reasons, and it happens to all kinds of people. This is not a new phenomenon. We can see evidence of this happening throughout Scripture. We see it happening even to some of those we would call the heroes of faith. Now, now discouragement sometimes happens because of things that are going on around us or, or people who are around us. Now, Paul, who was under persecution in his letter to the church at Corinth, he writes to them and says that his team is burdened beyond measure, above strength. And he goes on to say that we despaired even our life even of life. In the Old Testament, after killing the prophets of Baal, Elijah, who's now being pursued by Jezebel, goes off into the wilderness. He sits down under a tree. He prays to God that he might die. Sometimes we get discouraged simply because we're worn out. It can come from fighting an illness, a long, drawn-out battle with, with some kind of infirmity. It, it could come from, from a long emotional battle, a long physical battle. And when we get exhausted, sometimes we can lose hope. Isn't that what happened to Elijah? Listen, the, it says in, in Kings, it says the angel comes to him in the wilderness, provides some food for him, some nourishment, and, he says, and then says, arise and eat. And then he comes back again, and, and he says the same thing. Sometimes we're undernourished, and, and we're tired, and when that happens, our hope can disappear. David, throughout the book of Psalms, reminds us time and time again of how exhaustion can bring about disappointment. In Psalm 6, he says this, Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. Sometimes fear can bring discouragement. It can be fear of others. That's what was going on with Elijah. He was fearful of Jezebel, who, who was, being, um, was sending the armies after him can be fear of failing. Discouragement happens for all kinds of reasons. The writer of Ecclesiastes becomes discouraged when he realizes the futility of life. He says, I've worked all my life. I've given all I have. But for what? He says, it's meaning, meaningless. Who knows who will come and look after this after I'm gone? I built all this up, and it could be someone who comes to take after me, to take after this, who's wise, or it could be a fool. Who knows who it'll be? And he says this in, in 220. 
It's not up there on the screen. He says, so I give up in despair, questioning the value of all my hard work in this world. We can get discouraged when we lose the sense of God's presence. Notice I said when we lose the sense of God's presence. I didn't say when God leaves us. We can become discouraged. And when we become discouraged, we can even begin to hate even living. We can become sorrowful, lonely, afraid. We can lose the ability to think right. And when these things happen, we feel like God has forsaken us. And we come, when we come to that place, this feeling of hopelessness has settled in upon us. That's where the people of Israel found themselves 2,000 years ago. The prophet Isaiah, 700 years before that, had prophesied that the answer was coming. They had an answer coming, but they had not yet seen it. And I'm sure that the 700 years later, they had to find themselves in a place where they felt they had lost all hope. Isaiah had said this. He had said, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He prophesied that, and then centuries go by. A hundred years, two hundred years, three hundred years, four hundred years, five hundred years, six hundred years, seven hundred years. And what had happened? They found themselves under the control of the Roman government. They had to be feeling many of the things I just described. Their, their circumstances were outside of their control. God had gone silent. No prophets were giving a fresh word of hope. They had to feel abandoned by God. Hundreds of years passed and nothing. The promised Messiah had not yet come. A metaphorical darkness covered the land. They were in a waiting room. And the only known thing they felt was the weight of oppression. The fact is, we too are in a waiting room. We are waiting in that place between the incarnation of Christ and the return of the King. And in this place of waiting, we can sometimes get depressed. We begin to ask God, what are you waiting for? Anybody ever ask that? God, how much longer must I tarry under the weight of this life? We ask the question while at the same time constantly striving in our life to get ahead. Constantly on the go. Even now during this Christmas season we have just entered into, we are continually on the go celebrating the birth of Christ and has gotten us completely worn out. We come to a place of exhaustion. 
Have you ever stopped to think how much of the exhaustion comes on our own, comes at our own doing? See, we've, we've gotten our identity in the things of this world, and because of this, we got to keep going. We got to keep reaching. We got to keep striving. We got an image to keep up, one that we've created. We got to go to every Christmas party there is because if we don't, what will they think of us if we don't come? We got to work harder so we can earn more, so that we can have more. We got to work harder so we can earn more, so we can have more, so that we got to work harder so we can earn more, so we can have more. You get the picture? It's this endless cycle, it's this this merry-go-round that just will not stop. It's an endless cycle of toil that does not end. And for what? So we can get a bigger house. So we can put more stuff in it. I I can remember when we picked out the house plan for our current house. We were so excited to find a house with the laundry room on the same level as the bedrooms. That's a pretty big deal. This was going to be an answer to all things wrong in the world. No more carrying clothes up and down the stairs. Clothes would just somehow find their way into the closet. Can I tell you, 15 years later, the laundry room has not helped my clothes find their way into the closet. My clothes still get discarded onto the bedroom floor, the bathroom floor, and the closet floor. Having the laundry room on the same floor hasn't helped a bit. Someone still has to gather them up, wash them, and then put them up. And guess what? They still pile up just like they did when the laundry room was on the other floor. We work harder so we can earn more, so we can have more. We work harder so we can get a nicer, newer, fancier car that will take us to the job that has us so worn out that has brought us to a place of hopelessness because we never seem to be able to get ahead. And when this hopelessness settles upon us, we say, God, why have you left me? We say, where are you, God? Don't you even care that I'm so worn out? We say things like, you say you're my provision. Why haven't you provided? You say you'll give me rest. Why do I feel so weary? The weight of all of these things seem to be the greatest during this season of Advent. The weeks leading right up to the day we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Exhaustion seems to be more prevalent. The reality of our finances become more real. The I'm never going to get ahead screams louder in our mind than it does at any other time of the year. Jesus come to set the captive free, and, and as we look to celebrate his birth, the chains of bondage seem heavier than ever. Come on, no one's ever experienced the Christmas time waiting room. 
the merry-go-round is spinning and we can't seem to jump off. All this is happening during a time that we are looking to the day we celebrate the one who came to give us rest. At Christmas time, we tend to focus on the birth of Jesus, which is great. But if we miss the point, we, mi- we, we miss the point if we don't also speak about his return. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 21. This is Jesus speaking. In Luke chapter 21, beginning in verse number 25, it says this. Jesus says, And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts falling from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great joy. And now when these things begin to happen, look up. Lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Now, while at first, those first couple of verses there of Jesus speaking may seem discouraging. I mean, did you, did you hear what he said? He said in verse 25, and, and there will be signs in the sun and uh, the moon and in the stars and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity. The sea and the waves roaring. This is a picture of unrest. It's a picture that could describe the chaos going on within many minds today. Maybe even your mind this very morning. There's a real sense of uneasiness when you read those words with perplexity, the seas and the waves roaring. Then in verse 26, what does he say? Men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the power of the heavens will be shaken. The words of Jesus, while they may seem to be discouraging, they speak to what so many people are feeling in the world today. Many people feel this fear that he describes. Many people are weighed down with discouragement and depression. Now, while many people will pretend like depression and discouragement are never experienced by Christians, Jesus never shied away from this topic. We'll say things like, brother, how are you doing? And we'll be answered with blessed and highly favored. And let me tell you, that's true, but, but also that same person who says that may be dying on the inside, just saying, I wish someone could just help lift this burden off of me. Today, there seems to be much uncertainty in the world. Disease, political unrest, threats of war, wildfires, increase in extreme weather. And along with this, So much more fear has gripped the lives of so many. I say uncertainty has gripped us with fear. But Jesus, 2,000 years ago, told us us to expect these things. It's not uncertainty. He says these things will happen. 
And he says, when they do, men's hearts will become fearful. So instead of looking at the world as uncertain when we see these things happen, we should know these things certainly will happen. So instead of fear, we should feel confident. We we should feel confident that God's Word is true, that Jesus spoke the truth, that that His Word shall come to pass. And if these things that grip the world by fear are coming to pass, we should also know that verse 27 and 28 will come to pass as well. When He says this, then. These things will happen then. They will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And Jesus in verse 28 says, now when these things begin to happen. He didn't say, now if these things begin to happen. Jesus said, now when these things begin to happen. Look up. Lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Verse 28 is the entire point of this passage of him speaking. He says, look up. There it is. It's our hope, our redemption drawing near. It's him. Our hope is not in the things of this world. The world may be in chaos, but he is rock solid. He does not waver. He is a firm foundation. But when we lose sight of this, hopelessness comes upon us. We tend to start trying to grab things of this world. We're just looking for a little something that might just give us a little bit of hope. Something that might give us just a little bit of satisfaction. We look to the world like a vending machine in the waiting room. We know it's not going to fill our hunger, but we go to it anyway. We go up to it and we get out that $1 cup of watered-down coffee And we know it's going to taste terrible, but yet we go to it anyhow, knowing we're going to want something more, something better, something else, and we go to it anyway. In our hopelessness, we often go to the things that we think will bring us just a little bit of satisfaction. We go to another party because we feel like we have to. We search out for another gift, because if we don't, we'll leave disappointment. We've created an image we got to uphold. We may be in the waiting room, but our destiny is not like it is when we're in the car dealership. It is not uncertain. Our destiny is certain. We aren't aren't meant to remain in a state of hopelessness. Jesus gives us some instruction on down a little bit in this passage in Luke. If you look down to verse 34, he says this. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life. And that day come upon you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Very plainly, 
He says in verse 34 and 35, don't let your hearts be weighed down. Don't let it be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness, which makes perfect sense, right? But the next thing he says is don't let it be weighed down by the cares of this world. See, we, we can get that part with, hey, don't, don't, don't let yourself fall into the trap of drunkenness or carousing. But we'll jump all over the getting caught up in the cares of this world, the worry of this world. How can he say that? Does he not know what this world is like? Yeah, but he also knows this world is not our home. It's not the end. That's why Paul reminds the church, we're simply aliens in this world. We're passing through this temporal world to our eternal home. Jesus says, if you get weighed down by the cares of this world, the day of his return will come upon you like a snare. It will be unexpected. In verse 36, he gives us some instruction. If, if you're wondering, how do I make it through this waiting room, this time in between his incarnation and the time of his return, what's the answer? He tells us right there in verse number 36, he says, watch therefore and pray always. He gives us instruction on how to escape the, the coming destruction but it's also instruction on how we are to live while we're here on this earth in this waiting room. I'm here to tell you today, if hopelessness has come upon you, let me give you two words of advice. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. When you lift your head up towards heaven, looking and focusing on the things of eternity, the things of this world that have been weighing you down don't seem so big. When you look at these things against eternity, they're nothing. When you look at them in the hands of the Creator, what are these things that have been weighing you down? It's nothing. As your focus moves from the things of this world to Jesus, you're reminded of the goodness of God. David says in Psalms, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your, your wonders of old. I will also meditate on all your work and talk of your deeds. Church, as you begin to speak of His goodness, the hope begins to rise back up. When you speak of His goodness, praise begins to come from your lips. You remember when, when Paul and Silas were in the inner part of the prison? They were all the way into the middle, locked up, chained to the walls, in the darkness, long about midnight. There was no hope. But the praises begin to come from their lips. The songs begin to be sung, and the chains begin to fall. Jesus is saying in this passage, put your trust in me. 
I am faithful and true. I will return. I will come to take you home with me. This world is not your home. The things you're facing is not the end. I've got better days ahead for you. Listen to what what David says in Psalm 42. He takes his own uh, advice. He says, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. Some of you need to, to make this your declaration today. Some of you are going through it, and you need to say to yourself, Why am I discouraged? I serve a God that is so big. I serve a God that is so good. Why is my heart so sad? The, the one who created everything, He came and He died so that I could live. Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. If, if your heart is sad today, if hopelessness is set upon you, take the words of Jesus to heart. Watch and pray. When you pray, when you have a conversation with God, that's, that's speaking and listening. When you begin to talk with Him, it's amazing how He will begin to give you fresh vision. That He will renew your vision once again. We got to pray. We got to watch. Paul tells the church at Philippi, he says in Philippians 4, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. That's the part that a lot of people live, leave out is that with thanksgiving. They'll go to Him with prayer, with complaining and pleading. You have to go with a thankful heart. He's so good. Go to Him with a thankful heart and let your Requests be known. And when you do, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. That means it doesn't make any sense, y'all. That means things are still bad. That means things haven't really turned around in the natural eye. It, it still looks bad. That's, that's when the peace of God that surpasses understanding comes upon you. It, because understanding says, I shouldn't have peace. But God says, though things may look, though things may look, though things may feel, like there is no hope, let me just give you a little peace and tell you, in me there is hope. And this will guard your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. What should you do when you're in the waiting room? Watch and pray. Look to heaven where your help comes from. What about when you're sad? When you're in that place of lament? Look 
to what the writer of Lamentations says. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. You want to have hope? Recall this to your mind. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. Listen to this. They are new every morning. Speaking of God, great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Church, he is faithful. 2,000 years ago, heaven opened up. The heavenly host descended, and they brought about glad tidings to a group of shepherds on a hillside. They brought the word that which Isaiah foretold. They said, it's come to pass. I can't imagine how it must have felt. Hope was restored. I can't even imagine the sight that it must have been. The baby Jesus, the Messiah, had been born. But church, he didn't stay a baby. He grew and he lived a sinless life. He died a criminal's death for our sins. He was buried in a tomb. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he walked out of that grave on the third day with the keys to death, hell, and the grave. The, the, the sight that was seen by the shepherds on that hillside, incredible as it would have been, can I tell you, is nothing in comparison to the sight we will all see when he returns. When he comes back for his bride, he returns not as a baby in a manger, but as the King of kings and Lord of lords. When Jesus returns, he will be seen by all, and we will be called to meet him in the air. This is our hope. That's what we look to while we're in the waiting room. We look to heaven with a watchful eye and a watchful heart. And we pray to the one who is creator God. The, the one that is bigger than any circumstance. To the one who is the beginning and the end. To the one who is the author and the finisher of our faith. 2,000 years ago, they were in a waiting room. And just as Jesus broke through the darkness of that Bethlehem night, he can break through any darkness you're facing today. In Jesus, there is hope. In Jesus, there is hope for your broken relationship. There is hope for restoration. 
In Jesus, there is hope for your sickness. In Him, we have the hope of healing. For the wages of sin are death. But in Him, there is the hope of forgiveness by His blood. No matter the circumstances, no matter how hopeless it may seem, in Him, there is always hope. His light can break through any darkness. Darkness cannot exist where there is light. We sang it earlier. He can make beauty from ashes. In Him, the waiting room is not the dying room. In Him, our life is the living room. For He said He came to give us life. Let's turn our focus as we enter into this Advent season to Him. Jesus is our hope. And, and, and instead, of focus, instead of our focus on, on getting away from the material things of this world, because I think sometimes that's what we do. We, we, we hype ourselves up into this, I got to just step away from all of these things. I got to turn away from these things. And we never really turn towards anything. We just say, I, I got, and we become legalistic and be like, I can't do this. I can't do that. Can I just tell you, there's going to be a lot that you can't do this year anyhow because of COVID. You ain't got to worry about what you can't do or are trying not to do. Instead of focusing on not doing certain things this year, why don't we turn our focus towards Him? Towards Him this year. Let's be purposeful in this Christmas Advent season. Let's remember the hope that we have in Him. Let's put our trust in Him. He is the one who is faithful and true. All the things of this world will pass away. But His Word will never pass. Amen? Let's pray.